0: And wait, and wait, and baby, I'm TFC till I die.
1: I think you're muted,
0: or am I muted? There you go. My intro, my intro was really good. <laughs> By the way, I just, just couldn't hear it at all. But hello, and welcome back <laughs> to the Toronto F- to Toronto till I die, the Toronto FC fan show. And if you would have told me nine months ago, when Canada was at the World Cup in Qatar, that John Herdman would be the next head coach of Toronto FC, I would have laughed in your face. But alas, here we are, as the club officially announced today that John Herdman has been named the next head coach of TFC. We'll have a lot of Herman talk on this week's show. We'll briefly recap TFC's 2-0 loss to the Columbus crew. And we'll also get into the Lorenzo Insigne stuff because the drama never stops at Toronto FC. But before we do, no Mike Newell, no Jeffrey, Or I'm joined by Jeffrey Presker. Wow. (laughs) (laughs) And we're delighted as well to be joined by our friend, guy needs a little introduction it's John Molinaro of TFC Republic. John, I want to start here on on a positive note. We don't get too many positives I guess to talk about when it comes to TFC, but over the weekend Michael Bradley made his 300th appearance for Toronto FC. On this podcast, we've talked in length at length about how important Michael Bradley has been to Toronto FC, but there might not be a better person to speak on that than a guy who's watched him closely his entire career has talked to him a bunch has you know built a bit of a relationship here and you jamo so just putting you on the spot over his span since he joined tfc back in 2014 is there a memory that that stands out to you at all when we talk about michael bradley
2: i'd say that there there are two memories one on the field and one off the field that kind of kind of stand out about him the one on the field um and i I guess it's not so much a memory because i think this has been something that he's consistently done during the course of his time at toc it's just the sheer commitment and focus and tunnel vision that he has tunnel vision probably not the right word but you know what i'm saying what i'm saying the guy is just so focused on the task at hand and holds himself to such high standards and all those around him to such high standards that it's unlike anything I've seen from any sort of TFC player, or any athlete I've covered in this city. It really is remarkable the discipline that he has in terms of staying focused at all times. And um, he was exactly the type of player that TFC needed to come along when he did because the franchise was such a dysfunctional mess and they needed someone like him to sort of really lead the cultural change. And, and that's what he did. So um, on the field, that's – I can't sort of say there's one moment because it's been a series of moments like that off the field. And this is kind of a more personal thing. um, I will never forget in 2014 when, uh, you know, unfortunately my mom passed away from cancer and I was away from the team for a couple of weeks. I wasn't really around all that much for obvious reasons. And my first back time back at the training ground, um, for practice, um, you know, he was he was sort of walking off the field and he was going to go back into the building. And he wasn't scheduled to talk to reporters that day. But just as he was about to open the door to go into the building, he looked around and he saw me kind of sitting on my own uh, far off, stopped dead in his tracks, walked back to me and said, um, you know, we really missed you around here, but glad to have you back. You've been in our thoughts and our prayers. And then, you know, we kind of, he kind of shared a couple more words and then he walked off. Now at that time, that, you got to remember, this was 2014. So this was his first season in, in there. The team was still kind of struggling under uh, Ryan Nelson. And, you know, Michael knew who I was, but he didn't really know me per se. I mean, he knew I enough to, to say hello and we hadn't really developed that much of a personal rapport by uh, up to that point. But the fact that he, you know, took the time out to sort of you know, offer, you know, the very warm words. And he didn't have to do that. Um, that was something that's really kind of stayed with me all this time. And it's it's kind of one of my favorite memories of all my time covering TFC because he just the fact that he, again, took the time to take time out of his day to uh, offer condolences during a very difficult time for me, uh, it really meant a lot to me back then. And it still does to this day. So those are the two things that really stand out about Michael Bradley for me.
0: Yeah, it's funny how you you can't necessarily pick out an individual moment maybe on the field. But that's kind of it. Assembles who Michael Bradley was as a player. He was the guy who was constantly there. And especially during TFC's best years, he was so steady in in the middle of the park. And he's never the guy who gets on the highlight reel. He's never the guy that has, I mean, except for maybe that (laughs) goal against Charlotte last summer, he's never really the mm -hmm. guy that... That gets all the clicks when, when people look at videos. But man, he's a guy that has been so important to TFC's identity over these years. And I would honestly say, probably the most infor- important figure uh, to TFC's identity. Jeff, off the top of your head, anything that stands <laughs> out to you about Michael Bradley? Sure, off the top of my head, as he looks at his notes.
1: Um, obviously <laughs> uh, on the pitch that the Azteca goal is is for the for the U.S. men's national team that chip from what like 85 yards out is, is just unbelievable. And is maybe my second favorite goal I've seen in, in all football um, on the field. Uh, maybe Zlatan calling him the philosopher of football, but also uh, that brace to open up the, uh, the 2019 season when he was briefly the MLS golden boot leader will always have a special place <laughs> in my heart um, off the field, two things, the the letter to the fans post the 2016 MLS Cup loss which I thought set the tone for that insane run where we we ended up getting the treble and coming this close to to doing doing the quadruple and uh on a personal note that 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 gift that the club put out where he's eating popcorn but it's so obvious he's never let popcorn touch his mouth for 37 years so he's sort of miming (laughs) eating the popcorn and there's like a little moment of disgust as it gets close to his lips, and I guarantee you, they had to edit him tossing it away. And that that one's always been been great for me. So yeah, just off the top of my head, guys. <laughs>
0: Someone was <laughs> prepared. Um, yeah, I mean, we we all know how much TFC missed Michael Bradley throughout this this season, especially when the club is going through such a such a rough time. But it's been it's been a couple years of, of rough times here lately for TFC. And Jamal, throwing it back to you, do you think at all that maybe these last three years, and I hate to pose a question, but I think a lot of people are thinking it. Do you think these last three years, because it's been so bad for TFC, that Michael's Bradley's legacy at all has been been tarnished by the way that this is kind of starting to wind down here? No, I don't think so.
2: I mean, I, I can certainly understand people make that argument, but for me... I think you have to look at the overall body of work and again i point to the fact of of where this team was in 2014 when he arrived i mean this was a laughing stock of a franchise in mls i mean this was really a dysfunctional club from beginning to end from top to bottom and bringing on michael bradley was the turning point it absolutely was and i can't sort of overstate that enough he was Mm -hmm. not the i wouldn't i wouldn't say he was the greatest player in team history but certainly I would argue the most important in team history. He was the man who sort of changed the culture and raised the standards and sort of ushered in this era of accountability that uh, before then, you know, it simply hadn't existed at TFC. So um, yeah, Javinko, Josie uh Victor Vasquez, all hugely important players who absolutely played a vital role in sort of the glory years, but, uh, for me there hasn't been a, a more important player in the history of this franchise than Michael Bradley and i don't think two or three you know poor seasons is ever going to erase you know his legacy or um, you know undermine what he's meant to this club
0: at all that's what people will remember and i hope that's what people will remember when they when they do think of michael bradley but you know his career is not over right he's still under contract for the rest of the season he does have a player option as well going into next season we'll see whether or not he decides to activate that. But let me just quickly throw it back to you, j What do you think is next? What's the what's the read for me for, for Michael Bradley? What do you think is next here as he does go into potentially a year where he could be a free agent?
2: Yeah, it, it's an interesting question. And I mean, um, I can't help but think that, and I'm not basing this on anything. I haven't heard anything mm-hmm. uh, directly from Michael or anyone in his camp, but I can't help but think that bringing on John Herdman Probably reinvigorates him, or, or or sort of gives him more, even more reason to 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 exercise that option and to come back next year. Right? There's a mutual. I do know there's a mutual respect there. You know that Bradley has always kind of held Herdman in a high regard, and vice versa. And so I think the fact that you know potentially that Michael could end his playing career, uh, you know, in Toronto, playing for uh, someone who he holds in such high regard. Probably gives him pause for thought and makes him want to come back for the extra year. I think, you know, that probably is probably one of the going to be the one of the deciding factors in terms of what he does. I really can't imagine him leaving to go sign with another MLS club. Um, I just think he's he's too invested in here uh, in terms of him and his family living in the city and what the city, aside from the football wise, is meant to him. Uh, Even with everything that's going to happen with Bob. And I'm sure that probably left a little bit of a sour taste in his mouth. But um, I don't think it's enough to sour him completely on wanting to leave Toronto. And again, I think, you know, Herman coming aboard probably means he'll, uh, I'd have to think anyway, that it'll probably mean he'll be back next year.
0: Well, selfishly, I hope so, because what a disappointment it would be for Michael Bradley to have to go out on this note a guy who we just spent the last 10 minutes talking about what he means to Toronto FC. And for him to have to go out on, on this note, it would be really, really disappointing because this is a guy who deserves his flower. So I'm, I'm, I'm happy we've been able to, you know, talk about it and give it to him a little bit um, here. Jeff, any thoughts just off quickly? Toronto FC. Captain, uh, I don't,
1: next. I don't want to disagree, but I'm glad that you both, outline that it's going to take some time because I think knee jerk right now my answer is of course his reputation's been damaged of course you look at the what's going on in TFC land you look at hashtag TFC live and you don't have to scratch or look very far to find some rather um, uh, inflamed vitriolic statements about Michael Bradley I think the forest is a bit too close to the trees right now Um, and it's going to take some time to recontextualize his legacy and i think that that's fair it's it, it's chaos right now and everybody's pointing fingers so i i can't i can't abide by that it hasn't damaged his legacy but my hope is is that you know with the benefit of hindsight once we're out of this frying pan that most of the so-called transgressions that he's that he's been guilty of you know getting old is obviously his fault um it th- will be will be overlooked and we'll be able to look at it with a with a with a sort of all-encompassing perspective i also agree with you i think uh, uh herdman coming here um let's be honest man's getting his coaching badges right and let's be honest he enjoys being in a position as captain of this club to sort of learn on the fly off the coaches that come in he has a respect for john herdman he has a club option that's entirely in his purview to activate, which is so rare in this in this sport, in this league, in, in, in the global soccer community. Um, I think this changes everything. And that's going to allow for a year of him kind of getting to know Herdman and maybe helping Herdman out with some of the things that aren't necessarily part of Herdman's skill set with respect to tactics and and that sort of thing. I know assigning uh, Bradley any kind of tactical acumen right now is akin to, like, sticking my finger in an electrical socket, but I'm going to go there anyway. Um, So, yeah, I I agree with with all of your points, and my only counter is just, you know, it's impossible that his reputation hasn't taken a bit of a hit uh, over this last little while. It's unfortunate, but it is what it is.
0: Yeah, the last thing I'll say on that, and both of you just touched on it but I'll, I'll just emphasize it really is when michael bradley arrived and the thing that i'm going to remember michael bradley for was just how much he was proud to represent toronto he was proud to represent canada if that makes sense it was very rare especially at the time when he did come over where athletes would in really any sport you think about the least were going through a tough time the raptors weren't you know, they're kind of in disarray a bit, not making that next jump to the postseason. There weren't many star free agents signing in Toronto, but Michael Bradley was willing to come and and really represent the city and be proud of it and make it his own. Same with, you know, Josie Altador, and same with Sebastian Javinko, And I think that's kind of what made that era so special was that, yeah, you know, Toronto at the time might have been a bit unpopular, but we're going to we we're, we know the best kept secret I guess and we're gonna make this thing dang cool and I think that they did that and they lost that a little bit and I think someone's job right now who it is now to reignite that is of course the news today the biggest news today is that John Herman has been named the new head coach of Toronto FC um, he will assume the coaching duties for Toronto FC on October 1st so that is important to know so this next month just over a month will probably still be kept or managed by Terry Dunfield. And also worth noting, departing as well from Canada soccer, presumably presumably to join Herman's uh, staff here, uh, which by the way, will be announced at a later date. Our assistant coach is Simon Edie, Eric Tenlato, lead scout Alex Dodgson, and head of performance, Dr. Caesar Melan. So, couple different areas in which TFC did need to address, it seems kind of the writings on the wall with those uh, individuals will also follow Herman to TFC. But again, that will be officially announced at a later date. Um, John, your reaction to the news, I guess, do you see this as, as a win for Toronto FC? Let's start with Toronto FC. Cause there is a lot of moving parts here and there's two sides mm. to this, but let's start with Toronto FC. Do you see Herdman to Toronto FC as a win for the club?
2: Uh, potentially, I think, you know, as, as I think we've all kind of can agree that this team needs a major overhaul, not just in terms of the roster, but more importantly in terms of the culture uh, of of this franchise. Um, it's very much reminiscent of of where it was in twenty fourteen when it was so toxic, um, and you know, John obviously has a track record of of sort of culture change. When you look at you know when he inherited the men's team in twenty eighteen. Uh, it was a very dysfunctional side, and there was a lot of problems with that program. And you look at the job that he's done, in terms of, you know, stuffing the belief back into that team, where you know they cruised through Concacaf qualifiers and the best team in the region, and you know took four out of six points against the Americans in Mexico in World Cup qualifiers. That would have been unimaginable, uh, you know, even five years ago. So he's really, I think, the the job that he did in sort of transforming you know, the Canadian men's team into sort of lightweights, into heavyweights, very much so in the Kogagaf region, is is incredible. So, and that's exactly what TFC needs right now. They need someone to come in and transform this team. What I would say is uh, where I'm, where I would have concern is that, well, a couple of concerns. One, John has never coached a pro team. He has always, it's always been the national team. So, um, you know, how will he deal with, you know having to deal with these players on a daily basis and managing you know not from camp to camp but from day to day maybe it'll be fine for him um you know so that's one that's one thing i would say but the other thing too is when you look at his track record with canada soccer and i don't want to undermine the success that he has because he obviously had a great deal of success with the women and the men's but he left at very disadvantage disadvantaged, disadvantageous times for both programs when he left the women, it was in 2018, essentially a year out before uh, you know the 2019 uh, France World Cup, and he was really leaving them in a lurch. Um, same thing now; he's leaving Canada, the the men's team, you know, at a critical time where the program is in disarray. There's all these questions about you know the funding of the program and the future of the program, and the World Cup, a home World Cup, is only three years away. Uh, but he left for and very much sort of leveraged, uh, you know, his status and, you know, essentially campaigned for this job. So, you know, he's leaving for greener pastures and leaving, you know, his former team um, kind of in a lurch at a critical juncture. And I can't help but wonder if, you know, John is a very ambitious guy. I don't think there's any, and that's not a bad thing, but Mm -hmm. what happens should, you know, a European club in, you know, a year's time or two years time comes knocking on his door while he's still under contract, will he feel obligated to stay low with TFC or will he go on to the next opportunity? So these are all questions that I have. And I don't think it's unreasonable to ask them just considering his track record.
0: Yeah, I, I don't think so at all. And I, I like how you started the, the your your answer there by saying potentially. And I think that is so important to know because I see a lot of, you know, criticism going around. A lot of people also bullish about this signing. But the reality is for us, It's impossible to know exactly the effect that a coach has unless, you know, you were in the video room every day with the coaches, we're on the training pitches with the coaches, we don't get to see full practices. So coaches are judged by results. And at least in the public eye, and john Herman will once again, be judged by results. Jeff, do you have faith in that this is the right signing at the right time, or right appointment at the right time for Toronto FC and john Herman?
1: Yeah, I mean, just to uh, bring in something from the Greek chorus here, I mean, Boomslang uh, says, to be fair, you have you leave a job when it's best for you, not your employer. Uh, and there is some truth to that. Um, yeah, those are valid concerns, JMO, absolutely. Like to expect uh, a certain loyalty to the badge when we've been proven, it's been proven that that doesn't necessarily exist, or at least it, t- it plays second fizzle to personal ambition. Definitely something to keep our eye on. Um, what was the question? Do I think this is the right time? Yes. Mm -hmm. Yes, I do. Um, because we're, let's, let's be myopic for a little bit. Let's not worry about what happens, you know, when his, so his presumed tactical limitations are exposed because right now we've got a step before that, right? Like, like we've got to get to a functioning club first and that's hit where he's elite. So let's not look a gift horse in the mouth, right? We're not hiring him to be the lordship of TFC for the rest of the club's presumed history. We're hiring him for a certain amount of time. And as we've proven over the course of the last three years, we don't tend to keep people for the amount of time we hire them for anyway. But even so, you know, let's let the man cook. This is, it's almost a perfect meeting of the minds. He excels at the one thing that this team desperately needs right now. So everything else is expendable in in my view. Like let's let him do what he does best. Let the chips fall where they may in terms of whether he's going to get found out tactically or whether he's ready for the, for the club environment or the MLS environment, because we'd be asking the same questions if we had hired a European coach, you know, is he ready for the travel, et cetera, et cetera. Um, One thing that we can, we can sort of hang our hat on is that there's nobody, there was nobody in this conversation that's better at establishing club culture than Mr. John Herdman, and we got our man. So let's let's take the W, guys.
0: Well, let's let's say culture because he doesn't have that club experience yet, but it is something he's he's always been keen on. And, and you're right, Jeff. He's he's here to once again hit the reset button on club culture. He's here once again to really instill a new identity with TFC. And look at the last manager that, or sporting director and head coach that TFC hired. That's a guy who has as much club credentials as you can essentially ask for, and it didn't work out for TFC. So again, only way we're going to be able to measure John Herman is nece- is going to be by by results over these next couple of years. And I do say couple of years because according to Josh Cloak at The Athletic, it's a multi-year deal, which is not a surprise for John Herdman. And I also say next couple of years is because, let's face it, the way that Toronto FC are currently constructed right now, it may be a couple of years for, you know, TFC to be turned into contenders by both now Herdman and, and general manager, manager, Jason yep. Hernandez, but, but Jamo, John Herdman comes in. Okay. October 1st, he's there, he's coaching. What are his, his immediate priorities? Do you see over his first three games, first month in charge at Toronto FC? What are, what are his priorities there? What, what comes first?
2: Well, I mean, I kind of said this on, on Twitter uh, earlier today, but I really think he has to get Lorenzo Insigne and Federico Bernardeschi on side. Um, you know, I don't think there's any sort of question or dispute about that their heart hasn't necessarily been in it at TFC in terms of getting along with their coaches, whether it was Bob Bradley and now Terry Dunfield. And within a Bob's case, I mean, they were actively trying to sort of, you know, get rid of him pretty much from you know, early on in the start. And, you know, the the dispute with Terry last week and where in Sydney, you know, walked off the training pitch on Thursday and threatened not to play, although he ended up traveling in uh, to uh, Ohio, suggests that, you know, they don't have (laughs) very much respect for Terry either. So, um, and from what, you know, sources have told me is that, you know, these guys are, are really sort of blatant and brazen with their lack of respect in terms of, like the coaching staff and feel that they should be getting, you know, the star treatment and, you know, they're not to blame. They feel that they're not to blame for the team's woes. So, um, you know, that's a, that's a big problem. When, when you consider that these are, your supposed to be your two designated players who are supposed to be leading by example and producing like DPs and they haven't come close to it and they're causing a disruption. And I think when we talk about the culture of the TFC right now, they're a big reason why the culture is in such a mess and let's not get ourselves. So, you know, John Herdman has a pretty big task in terms of winning them over Like, can he gain their respect? Can Will they, be, will they feel inclined to take their march, marching orders from him? I mean, they weren't so inclined with Bob Bradley and this was a guy who coached club soccer in Europe, who coached the US and Egyptian national team, was an MLS coach of some repute. Um, Here's John Herdman, um, doesn't have the same sort of track record as Bradley. He's only coached, you know, men's team, um, you know, the Canadian men's team for what, five years now? Got him to a World Cup, Mm -hmm. so that's great. But Bob Bradley did the same with the U.S., nearly did so with Egypt. So I'm really curious to see how much they're going to sort of, how much John is, you know, I I think John is going to have to win them over and really get them in line. For me, that's kind of like the biggest challenge he's going to face right from the start.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah, uh, it has to be number one and number two because your designated players are obviously the people who carry you as far as you go in in Major League Soccer. Yeah, go ahead, Jeff. Uh,
1: I mean, the fact that he's starting on October the 1st, which is well after the transfer windows and all opportunities to shed ourselves of these contracts are over, does that not get your spidey senses tingling
0: that maybe I wouldn't say that's I wouldn't say that's the reason his contract is starting October 1st I think more so it has to do with well at least according to the press release it says that he's he'll be helping transition um Canada soccer and helping them again in that transition to their new head coach um maybe they're there's some more to it than that but it is an important thing to note jeff because the transfer window deadline is approaching in europe and we all know and have read the speculation about federico Bernardeschi and potentially whether or not he'll make a move over to europe at this time it's nothing is imminent
2: but still
0: mm. something i think worth keeping an eye on so there's a chance that one of the italians may not even be there by the time John Herman officially starts, but if they are, I agree with John, it it has to be priorities number one and two. (laughs) Right? Um, Mm. Other thing is, you're going to figure out the rest of the squad. Who still wants to be there? Who doesn't want to be there? You know, Jason Hernandez has done a great job of kind of starting that process here, but come the offseason, there's going to be more movement when it comes to this TFC team and John Herman is going to had to play a big part in then I guess the biggest thing, just taking a step back, is figuring out what his tactical identity will be. We know with the national team, a lot of that is based upon the players that you have within your program, especially Canada's. Because at the time, especially when John Herman took over, the pool isn't that deep. So it's not like he has a bunch of different options that he can, he can pull from there to create his sort of t- tactical identity. We've seen him revert to backs to kind of get the best out of Canada's extremely strong wingbacks and Alphonso Davies and Richie Larea and and Tejon Buchanan and Sam Adekube, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But Toronto FC, it's, it's, if they do keep Insigne's Berndeski, it's how do you get the best kind of out of those players and then build around them? I'm interested to see exactly what his, his identity will be at the club level. I think that's absolutely worth keeping an eye on. Um, Jeff, we kind of talked about this last week, so I'll I'll throw this to JMO and it's, And Jamie, you brought it up. It's about the fact that Herman doesn't have any club experience. Hmm. How big of a factor is that to you? Because I've heard de- varying degrees, and it has to be a factor, right?
2: Yeah, I mean, I think it's a factor, but how much? I mean, I, I, I honestly can't say. I mean, it's, it's kind of like how you said before, Michael. I think it's just a matter of letting letting him get on the job and let's see how he does. I mean. I can remember people having similar, somewhat similar um, concerns when he took over the men's side saying, well, he's only coached women's football. He's never really coached, um, you know, a men's team at all. And will that will that have, will he be able to make that uh, sort of transformation and be able to adapt? And it was, you know, it was never an issue, right? I mean, I don't think, uh, I think we could all agree, he kind of, you know, made that transition rather smoothly. So, um but I mean, this is a little bit different in the sense that again, you know with the national team, he only sees the players every few months. He's not managing them and in terms of managing, not just on the field but off the field on a day to day on a day to day basis. Now he will be. I mean, he's going to be actively involved in every aspect of this team uh, every day of the uh, every sort of minute of the day. And that is a bit of a change. And that's not to say he's he's not sort of opened up for that challenge and maybe he can do it. But it is going to be something new to him and you know, it's probably going to take some time. So I'll be really interested to see how he makes that transition from, you know, seeing the players every couple of months to seeing them every day and having to deal with them every day and managing them both on and yeah. off the field every day. It's, it's a big sort of transition to make, especially when all your sort of footballing background has been on the national team level.
0: And let's face it, that's going to be the narrative that hovers him over him like a cloud throughout at least the first couple months of his journey here with Toronto FC. And I guess the hope is that it's a a long journey here, Jeff. And that's what, I mean, you talked about it already. That's what John Herman is is brought in here to do. He's here, he's brought in to again, just reset the culture here at Toronto FC and build it again from the ground up, which you know, some TFC fans might not want to hear that, but it, it's going to be a process here with Toronto FC and, and John Herman kind of getting things right here. Let, let's talk about the other side of the coin, though, and I think this is the most common question that I've seen people ask is, why why the heck is John Herman leaving <laughs> the Canadian <Men's> national <laughs> team when <laughs> Canada is about to host the World Cup in less than three years? What do you read into that, the fact that he is leaving Canada in a World Cup cycle, John?
2: Well, I think it's a huge black eye for Canada soccer. I mean, who leaves uh, a job like that with a home World Cup looming less than three years away unless it's a total crap show uh, going on behind the scenes at Canada soccer? And that's totally what's going on here. Let's not, again, let's not kid ourselves or sugarcoat it. You know, the Canada soccer right now is in a state of disarray. Uh, John has not been shy about uh, voicing his concerns. I mean, I can remember... I can't remember what game it was, but he said, you know, we're not serious about winning the 2026 World Cup. The team, the, the, you know, Canada soccer is in a state of financial, it's in a financial crunch right now. There's labor unrest and has been for a long time. And I don't see that sort of subsiding anytime soon. Um, his hands are tied, um, really. I mean, there's only so much you can do. There's only, you know, the resources simply aren't there to the point where I think he just had like enough and he was starting to think about his next move. And yeah, you can make the argument. He's making, he's moving from one dysfunctional situation uh, to the next, but I would suggest there's a little bit more stability, you know, when MLSE is involved and certainly more money involved and, you know, he's not going to be lacking for resources. He's not going to be lacking for support. And that's simply not the case at Canada soccer. So I don't think there's any way to look at this other than, this is a major black eye and a PR disaster for, for Canada soccer to have their national team coach, you know, stepping down with you know time still left on his contract and a world cup, you know, roughly three years away. It's who does that? You know, it's just simply not done. I mean, this is really unprecedented. Yeah.
0: And it's, it's a national story really because of the ripple effect that this is now going to have obviously Canada soccer is without a permanent head coach. If he missed it, they've named Moro Biello as the interim head coach there. And such a fascinating time. We'll see, I guess, with Canada Soccer and see who's who's next for that position because a few names off the top of my head, Bobby Spernionis is obviously the big one that I think a lot of people rightfully point to based on what he's accomplished with Forge. But there's maybe even some international candidates because it is going to be a coveted position. But I also think that this Toronto FC job A lot of people may not think this because of the way that Toronto FC have been the last couple of years and kind of just how toxic overall TFC have been, but I still think it was a coveted role. And I think that's why John Herman was interested. And hear me out here, I'm going to say this. Toronto FC is the only club in Canada that John Herman would have left the Canadian men's national team role for. I don't think he would have left it for Montreal, and I don't think he would have left it for Vancouver. Jeff, do you agree? Do you disagree? I agree with you,
1: um, but I think that what's getting lost in this narrative, and I agree with everything that everybody's saying, uh, it was an untenable situation at Canada Soccer, and it's an easy exit because it's an untenable situation and the public narrative supports this. But I do think there's merit in that this was a perfect time for John to get out because there's all this smoke around you know, him being victimized by lack of funding, but it's also a smart move because... Maybe he saw his ceiling, uh, you know, getting found out tactically at the World Cup, making what I don't think was a mistake, but was actually just a desired effect by the Croatia comments that everybody took on face value. <clears throat> Excuse me. I think, uh, you know, this gives him the opportunity to, if if we agree that the baseline is Herdman thinks about himself and puts himself first, this is a way to get better, whereas maybe he was stagnating in that role, and it's not enough opportunity to get better, maybe get found out again in 2026. and there goes his legacy. You know what I mean? I think this presented it, I mean, if we're to believe that his people approached TFC, they saw an opportunity for the betterment of their client, uh, you know, out where everything supported that client not being hung out to dry for his ambition, but rather, you know, jumping ship when the, you know, because the ship was sinking kind of thing. So I think it's a, it's a win-win or at least a, a major win for Herdman's camp, certainly a huge loss for Canada soccer. But uh, I do think that the narrative needs to include that. I, 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 you have to give Herdman agency. He's not an idiot. He's a smart man. He saw the the opportunity here to get what he wants, which is uh, inroads into the club game. You know, everybody's harping about, well, why would he walk away from the 2026 world cup maybe he's afraid that you know it's bigger than him at this current level of his tactical noose coaching in the world cup which is the pinnacle of the sport on the men's side is a little bit too much for his tactical uh, acumen and this is a great
0: way to get there cat i mean hey he he does capitalize on his opportunities that might be might be a little bit too harsh um but hey who who knows um i mean but listen yeah, if i
1: got if i got found out in, in, in a way that, that he did at the World Cup. And that can't be excused. His tactics were all over the place. And a lot of times he was sort of trying to play a tug of war between keeping the players happy, keeping the press happy, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, when it could, should have just been myopic. And I'm sure he's learned that lesson. But at the end of the day, you know, this this gives him the opportunity to really concentrate on that and start on well, on the on doing what he knows he can do with his eyes closed which is build up a club identity from
0: from the basement yeah there is the possibility that 2026 comes around and let's say canada once again goes winless in a really uninspiring fashion and then all of a sudden john herman who maybe just a few months ago was on top of it seemed like a top he was on top of the world and it comes to a coaching pedestal there is a chance where his reputation would have taken a hit there and you know, how often does the Toronto FC job become vacant? I mean, more often than we've <laughs> we these last couple of years. But No, but at this
1: level, like representing <laughs> this kind of a like bespoke, tailor-made opportunity for what John thinks and what I agree is his best skill. You know, the one thing that he's properly sure. lead at.
0: Yeah, for sure. He does like to take up a project. One thing I'm fascinated to learn about this whole process is exactly how it unfolded. You know, there's rumblings that John Herdman decided to approach Toronto FC when they, when he heard that there was a vacancy. Which, funny enough, we heard this in Terry Dunfield's first press conference, was that John Herdman was in the room when Terry Dunfield got the call from Bill Manning on the Monday morning, just hours before he was appointed as interim head coach. And Terry Dunfield actually asked John Herdman for advice about whether or not he should wow. take that position. And it turns out just you know, a couple months later that John Herman is the person that's now replacing Terry Dunfield as head coach. I'm fascinated to learn more about that, but John and I will both be learning more about that as John Herman will be in, officially introduced to media tomorrow afternoon at the BMO training ground. Um, so tune in for updates on his press conference. We'll also be speaking to uh, Jason Hernandez, general manager, and of course, Toronto FC president, Bill Manning. So a lot more still to learn. This is still very much so a, let's just call it a developing story. Um, well, last week, there was another developing story as as they've done recently. Mm-hmm. The Athletics, shout out to our guy Joshua Cloak and Tom Bogert, dropping bombs. j already kind of touched on it, but the Athletic. Publishing last week, they reported that Lorenzo Insigne left midway through a Toronto FC training session on Thursday, Tuesday before or two days before the team left for Columbus after a heated argument with interim head coach Terry Dunfield, with Insigne tell- telling Dunfield he would decide if he would play TFC's game. Their argument, reportedly again, stemmed from Dunfield's decision to have Insigne share reps in a drill with DeAndre Kerr multiple sources according to the athletic with knowledge of the events said that Insigne left the training field as Insigne left the training field. He was heard making derogatory comments about TFC and how differently he is being treated compared to other MLS stars. And again, this is a big one. It was not the first time that Insigne walked out of training. I'll start just by sharing my initial thoughts. Not surprised whatsoever hearing that. Um, just because, and as John illustrated, this has been kind of the Lorenzo Insigne we've come to to really know and really expect here at Toronto. It's a guy that, quite frankly, and I said, said this, he operates as if he's bigger than the club. And yeah, you know, fair. Some people point out he might actually be bigger than the club, whichever way you want to use to define that. Um, but there's also the other side of things where, and I think it's fair to say, is the club, haven't really lived up to their side of the bargain either. So when you're a last place team, and you're a team with only three wins on the season, you're a team in a a stretch of games where you've lost nine games in a row, when you've only scored two goals in your last eight or nine games, frustration is going to boil over, and you are going to hear about events like this transpire. Um, So for me, not really that surprised, but it is kind of an indictment about you know, maybe the the type of character that Lorenzo Insigne is, and maybe he's not quite the leader that TFC thought they were getting. Jmo, you kind of touched on it, just your reaction to reading that news and, and hearing that news.
2: Not surprised. Um, you know, I had been heard. I heard essentially, um, you know, the same thing from a source shortly after the Athletic broke the story. Um, again, I've kind of been hearing rumblings about. You know, Insigne pulling this stuff in terms of, uh, you know, walking out of practice, about making a meal out of his supposed injuries because he doesn't want to play, um, you know, uh, stuff like that. And again, going back to the to last, um, really to last year when him and Bernadeski have kind of, you know, effectively been teaming up to forcing Bob Bradley out of uh, out of a job because they didn't sort of respect his tactical vision or the way he managed the club. So, um, again, this is par for the course. And it really raises the question about how much due diligence TFC really did uh, in going after him. I appreciate he's, you know, big international star who helped Italy win the European Championship and played Champions League football with Napoli and, you know, probably could have, you know, at the time... And they signed him. Probably could have started for most big European teams, um, mm-hmm. but you know him. Him coming here, um, you know, it just hasn't lived up to expectations. And I think a large part of that is just because of his attitude and the fact that he does think he's bigger than the team and that he should be getting some sort of special treatment and that all of TC- TFC's faults, he somehow bears no responsibility. And I'm not laying it all on, on his shoulders. I mean, there's there's plenty of blame to go around, but I don't think there's any question that you know his lack of production and his attitude, and the lack of production and attitude of Federico Bernardeschi, have, ser- have, have been major contributors to why TFC is in this mess. So um, it just it really sort of raises the question as to how much did TFC really delve into this and really talk to people who have played with Insigne, what it's like to coach him, what it's like to be of his teammate because it's not just about what he brings on the pitch. It's also about how he's going to gel with the rest of the team and how he comports himself. And, you know, everything I've, I've heard about him so far suggests that, um, you know, perhaps TFC didn't really do as much homework as they should have when it comes to, you know, that sort of side of it things.
0: It's really strange too, because this was a guy that was the captain of Napoli and it, he's done the exact opposite of that here. He's his actions don't scream captain to me whatsoever. He's had, a, he had a nice little run there when, you know, they, the athletic established that or published that initial article outlining kind of the details of what was going on behind the scenes, specifically about Insigne and Bernardeschi and how they're working in tandem to, to get Bob Bradley out. He had a nice little response to that, but overall his his tenure here has been extremely underwhelming and again let me emphasize that I don't think that it's all on him I think that the team plays a massive part in that and not getting the right players around him but still it's uh it it seems like MLS has been a really big wake-up call to a guy who probably should have done a lot more research before committing his his long-term future here and same thing goes for Toronto FC and it does raise the question as what exactly is Lorenzo Insigne's future here at Toronto FC? And is he going to last the entirety of his contract? Time, I guess, will tell. Um, Jeff, throwing it back to you. You read mm-hmm. that news. We all know your, your take on the Italians. Any surprises from you? No, not at all.
1: Uh, not surprised. And I think John puts it perfectly the thing that drives me the craziest about this is the lack of, of agency, the lack of accountability. Um, it, you know, there's a lot of blame to go around. Nothing is going right at this club, but to assume that you have absolutely no bearing on its successes or failures and that you're independent from it is, is patently ridiculous. And I'm just, I, you know, uh, the, that's where most of my frustration comes from because it's completely insane and it's an insult to all of our intelligence. Um, you know, let me. Tertz, let Tertz, Tertz said okay. raised a really interesting point, which is he played, so it's a done. It, it's it, the conversation is over, and and I, I think there's I think there's merit to that in non bizarro world. Unfortunately, we are so <laughs> far into bizarro world right now. That it all has a bearing; it all does. And you know, you can't take anything at face value anymore because there is no no terra firma to stand on. Um, yeah, I and the I, you know my my opinion on these guys is clear. Uh, I don't need to. I don't need to flog a dead horse.
0: Oh, I, I said the same thing last week. And let me just reiterate it, Jeff. If mm-hmm. Lorenzo Insigne is performing. If he is going out, he's scoring goals, he's healthy, he's available, he's setting up goals, he's putting in the work that fans can clearly see. You're right, this, is, this story is over by the time his name's back into that 11. However, that's not the case, and he's not doing mm-hmm. that, and he's playing for a last place team right now in Major League Soccer, and he's making $14 million a season doing so. So you know what? It it still is Mm. a story that's going to be talked about because he's not living up to his end of the bargain either. And doing this only adds fuel to the fire. But let's transition, right? Let's transition Mm. into Saturday. Biggest (laughs) news that we saw, starting with the 11, is that Lorenzo Insigne is back, starting alongside Bernadeschi. It's been a while since they did that. Terry Dunfield over here is he's having to make a decision, right? We know the way that it's framed is that it's Lorenzo Insigne's decision, but ultimately it was Terry Dunfield who decided that he was going to, to start Lorenzo Insigne as the interim head coach, you know, it it is tough to kind of put your foot down, but John, what do you read into that seeing that Lorenzo Insigne was back into the 11? Is that maybe they reconciled everything?
2: Yeah, uh, it's an interesting one. I mean, reconciled. Um, I don't know if reconciled is the right word. Maybe it's just coming to a a temporary understanding that (laughs) needed him on the field. Um, But I don't think uh, reconciled is the correct word. I think there is still a general lack of respect and lack of faith in Terry that the Italians have for him. And look, Terry's in a very difficult position here, right? I mean, even though he's the interim coach, I mean, this has still been a pretty big career opportunity for him. And, you know, he's got to, he's got to think about his future as well beyond this, whether it's going back to the youth team, the youth Academy team, or, you know, he's trying to set himself up for, you know, a future career move as well. So he's got to, at the end of the day, it's about getting results. And I don't think there's any question that, you know, having Lorenzo Insignia in your team improves, theoretically improves your chances of winning in MLS. (laughs) That hasn't been the case this year. So, I th- I think Terry, whatever it was, they just came to a temporary understanding that look we need you on the field you're going to play and and that's it. Now you know I, I thought Insinio did okay. I mean he hit the the post at one time and mm-hmm. he seemed to be pretty like engaged in the game, which was you know a positive sign. But again, you know I don't think he produced enough. But you know you can say that a lot about a lot of TFC players. And again, that Columbus mm-hmm. game was a pretty disappointing effort, regardless of. You know Terry's rose-colored evaluation of it afterwards, saying how you know they worked their asses off, and he actually thanked them for their hard work. Uh, mm-hmm. I was tough team stunned, to beat. But, yeah, I mean, I was pretty stunned by how lackadaisical they were. Were if anything, not by their hard work.
0: Yeah, that's not the first time he's taken the, that approach after a game, as well, right? We yeah. think back to the every post-game press conference, every last one. Well, the, the NYCFC one specifically, where Perfect it level. looked like it looked like the team essentially gave up, and I think Jamie, you might have been the one to ask him whether or not right. he felt like his team gave up on him, and he quite frankly said was no, not not even a little bit, um, which anyone watching that game probably would have would have disagreed. But that's kind of the route that Terry Dunfield has been taken, and I guess let's take a step back. Do you think that? this team has put Terry Dunfield in a fair position because he accepted the role and he knew what he was getting into, but do you think the team was fair to appoint Terry Dunfield at this point? I guess they had to appoint somebody.
1: Um, I think he expected four games like Bill Manning outlined. And I think this has been a much longer stretch than even he anticipated.
0: Yeah. Yeah. That, that, that's fair. Jama. Yeah, I mean,
2: look, it's he I think it's unfair in the sense that like he did not see this coming, right? I mean, he was he was with you know John Herdman when he got the call. I mean, like he was totally blindsided by this. And like I don't think he was really in a position to say no, right? I mean, he was you know, was he gonna turn it down? Because then what is yeah. Bill how does Bill Manning sort of interpret that? And what does that do to Terry Dunfield's, you know, career and future prospects of the club? So he was really sort of backed into a corner in a lot of ways and and again, let's not kid ourselves he's he inherited a team that is in you know a dire situation here who <laughs> he was in a complete mess who you know hadn't been scoring goals who hadn't you know won since since late may um he did not inherit a team that was sort of a work in progress he was inherited a team that was in a downward spiral so yeah, he accepted the job, uh, no question about it. But I, I'm not sure he had much choice because I think to 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 turn down that offer would have been career suicide on Terry's part. 100. percent Yeah, exactly.
0: Yeah, and I just, I just hope that you know he's 0-0 and eight. He'll have uh, five more matches left to hopefully improve on that record. But you have to wonder: is teams looking from the outside now? The first thing they probably look at is managerial record, and that's not exactly mm. a glowing stamp on your resume to point out that that's kind of what transpired. But I hope a, you know teams that do end up, you know, looking at Terry Dunfield, whatever capacity, also look at it with context because I don't think that he's he's been put in a fair spot. But I also don't blame him for not turning this job down because it was a significant opportunity for him so yeah I, I get it i'm with you it's just it kind of unfortunate to see how this all played out jeff you caught the game on mm-hmm. on wednesday i'm sorry on saturday night big talking point was cassius mayula we were excited mm-hmm. to see his debut we saw a bit of it you know he wasn't maybe as involved as we'd like him to be but what did you make of, of just kind of the oh, man in him? an
1: alternate universe he scores a goal in his first touch and we're having an entirely different conversation. He was so damn close. Um, he was electric. He he looked exactly as he, he he looked exactly like what was written on the box and what was in the awful dubstep uh, uh, highlight video that we all had to suffer through when when the announcement came. Not because of the skills, because of the dubstep, because it's always dubstep. Um, yeah, like I I really liked him. I thought he brought a lot to the table. I thought he was electric. I thought he was making some really unselfish runs. Uh, He was getting him behind often and he had a smile on his face. I mean, the biggest shock for me with Prince Owusu, other than the fact that he's now part of lower leg injury FC again, for (laughs) an inexplicable reason is, is it took him what all of four minutes to get the same frown that the rest of his teammates had on the pitch. Like it was, it it honestly felt like he'd been playing for TFC for the last three years. And then here comes Cassius and you know, kid looked like i already felt bad for him because i'm like when is that smile going to turn into a defeated frown and when are his shoulders going to slump i hope never um because i really liked what i saw and you know in the way that you were saying i would say a little bit um uh 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 uh, small sample size that you think prince owusu you know mr mr uh, 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 sneer is the future of of tfc's attacking core i saw way more to be excited about by our boy Cassius, you know and and again the fact that he's so loved and for a while, all of TFC land were various South African football accounts, just telling us how <laughs> great he's going to be. Um, you, you know, you got to take some comfort in that. Like they, they love this kid and, and I sort of do too now, you know?
0: Yeah. I mean, I think that's, I, li- I liked how you said he's, he was going to play at the smell on his face. And I think that's something we highlighted at the time is hey, this is a guy that's coming over from South Africa and is grateful to be, playing at major league soccer and tfc as we've talked about they haven't they've recruited the opposite they recruited guys mm-hmm. who were coming over from italy and are like you should be grateful to have us yeah play for your team that's so
1: fair so that's such that's so
0: eloquently stated yeah. I, I do like how there is that shift in mentality um jamo what did you see out of cassius on his debut anything different from jeff
2: uh, just to reiterate what Jeff said, I mean, I think the unselfishness of his runs, um, there was a creative spark there. I mean, I think as soon as he came into the game in the 64th minute, you could just tell there was an automatic lift, right? And he was getting in behind and um, you know nearly scored with his first touch of the game, which would have been a, you know incredible moment. He had yeah, some I other sort of. That world. It was. Uh, I thought he linked up well at times with DeAndre Kerr, who also came in, um, you know, in the second half. So it's you kind of see glimpses of why the club had been tracking him for, for, for a while now and why they wanted to bring him over. And mm-hmm. I think I think you're quite right, Michael. I mean, the fact that, you know, he plays with a smile on his face because he knows that this is a big opportunity for him, right? And, you know, let's not kid ourselves. He he even said himself, this when he came to Toronto, he said, you know, this move gets him closer to Europe because he knows if mm-hmm. he can do better here than you know essentially he can move on to play abroad which is his ultimate goal so he's clearly incentivized to do really well you know beyond whatever i'm sure he's getting a raise in terms of money from what he was making in South Africa whereas with the you know the Italians i think it's pretty clear they only came here just to line their pockets which you know fair enough but you know they're not producing at the same point that's not the case with Kasher. So i think he's he's really motivated to do well and is playing with a smile on his face and we clearly saw that <laughs> Aaron, Aaron, coming in off
0: the top rope. Aaron Ginsburg. Nobody tell him that we don't sell players. <laughs> Shh, everybody, be quiet. Mm-hmm. Hey, come on, Jaden Nelson. Shout out Jaden Nelson. By the way, doing mm-hmm. extremely well in Norway. We see him. We keep seeing him pop up on the highlight reel. And I was about to say he should be on John Herman's radar, but he should actually be on Moro Bielo's <laughs> radar. Yeah, oh, I got to get yeah. used to that one. <laughs> I'm mm-hmm. shifting that one over. Uh, yeah, no, Cassius again, just a different type of energy here at Toronto FC. And I think that that is important to note is, you know, we're saying John Herman has to come in and he has to be this shift in culture. But at the end of the day, it, it falls on the players. And, you know, Bob Bradley, when he first came in, I think his biggest agenda was to get in guys who have great locker room presence, guys who are good professionals. He always used to say guys who love football and love the game and love, you know, training, again that hasn't worked out and is it on the players is it on was it on bob bradley was it on kind of just the overall culture that bill manning has instilled here at toronto fc cuz at the end of the day let's, let's face it this is likely bill manning's last strike right i mean he's in pointed what now 7, after 000. greg after greg you had Chris Armis and then Javier Perez as an interim, then Bob Bradley, now Terry Dunfield as an interim, and now this is John Herman. He's swinging big. And that, don't get me wrong, this is, again, I personally think, it's a good swing from Bill Manning based on, I th- believe, the resources that he had. So for him to go out and, and get the Canadian Men's National Team head coach and still make that you know marketing splash that we know he does like to make, yet still, in my opinion, bringing in a good coach, I think it's a good move. But again, if it doesn't work, I, 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 you have to say I think it is probably strike three and you're out. But hopefully, it doesn't get there, and hopefully, uh, <laughs> we are talking more about uh, John Herman era at Toronto FC, and and hopefully now the Bill Manning era at Toronto FC. Um, last we thing close I want to book. Okay, you mm-hmm. do your last, and then I'll do my last. Okay, uh, I want to talk a little bit about. Just quickly, Franco Ibarra not getting benched and then not even being brought into the game. Um, The reason I want to bring this up is because he's a signing. Don't get me wrong, they don't have an obligation to play Franco Ibarra, but Mm -hmm. he was clearly incredibly talented when he came over, Um, still is an incredibly talented player. It just at the time when he, the TFC made the move, it was kind of a head scratcher for me. It didn't really make sense because he's only coming in on a couple months alone on a team that had really no chance of making the playoffs. John, can you help me make sense of the Franco Ibarra move? Understanding that he didn't even play on Saturday night,
2: I can't. No, I, I don't really have any sort of uh, rationale for that, uh, mm-hmm. other than to say maybe there was. You know some sort, maybe he was carrying some sort of minor knock, which, not, yeah, it wouldn't be inconceivable <laughs> just considering you know the way this team's sort of luck with injuries are going. Um, yeah, I mean, I don't, I mean, w- when I saw him in training all last week, he was fully involved in all the training sessions, seemed to be getting along with everyone. So, um, the only thing I can think of is it's, it's maybe something injury related, maybe it's something where. He's copying out an attitude now, and, and, and or for whatever reason, or maybe it was just something from, from, from Terry's perspective. I mean, it has to be said. I thought uh, Alonzo Coelho had a pretty strong oh, game yeah. yesterday or on Saturday, so maybe it was just mm-hmm. a simple matter of wanting to get Alonzo going um, and really give him some playing time because he's, you know, obviously a permanent player and is going to be one would hope and think. You know a long term prospect for this team, so it could be
0: as simple as that, and that's why the move didn't make sense for me is because you have players like Alonzo you had Michael Bradley coming back you have I know okay, you ship out Mark Anthony K shortly after, but you still have some depth there in the middle of the park and if you're not mm-hmm. gonna play him it just it's, it's a bit of head scratcher, but that is to be to be said they paid just fifty k in allocation money yeah. for frankly bar so it's not like they sacrificed a lot. Go ahead, Jeff. I think there's
1: more to this move than than just this move. I think this was helping Atlanta out. And I think the anticipation is is that Atlanta will help Toronto out if and when that need comes. Also, I'm shedding no tears for benching a lone player at the expense of a permanent player. And I think you hit the nail yeah. on the head right there. If it's between getting Ibarra going when he's here for, what, nine more games, eight more games, or getting Quayo going uh you know i go with option b 100% of the time um
0: it's going to go down easy. as one of those like random like hey do you remember when franco ibarra played <laughs> at toronto <laughs> fc for mm-hmm. like three years it months? feels
1: it feels like Benizé, where we all found out that they had like a cap on how many appearances they could give him in his loan deal before it became oh, yeah. permanent and and <laughs> we just never played him again because we didn't want to make it permanent um you know shenanigans uh but like you know, what was it what was it we were saying when, when he first came that the idea was to test the waters with this TFC team with a more mobile, more young six? You know, maybe we, maybe we've already got the, all the film we need to know. Uh, that that's going to work or not. Or maybe, you know, with Herdman coming in, it's not about a single pivot, it's now about a double pivot. So his usefulness in figuring it out is 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 thusly negated. Yeah. Um, but certainly I'm not shedding any tears for his lack of playing time because, I mean, he can get it back in Atlanta
0: where he belongs, right? He's not playing here. so Yeah, and there you go. Um, another midfield mm-hmm. guy, I see people in the chat asking, let me just bring up Danny's comment here because I think it is a fair one um he's asking why isn't jonathan osorio getting the criticism that comes with the designated player tag he's been awful he's a designated player there needs to be a larger microscope on him i think awful is a little bit harsh um has he lived up to his designated player tag no but it's also worth mentioning and emphasizing for the 20th time he's not a traditional designated player right thank you a tam he's a tam signing and i know he's classified as a dp but that's just bookkeeping, okay? He is a TAM signing, so I think criticizing him as a DP is – that's just not fair at all to him. Not that fair. being said, I don't think he's. I, I think he's had a down season. I think that, that's fair to say. But I, there's not many people on Toronto FC who have had up seasons. But you have a guy in John Herman who, at least in the recent camps, has – made Jonathan Osorio one of his most important players. So if there is someone out there who can reinvigorate Jonathan Osorio, if he needs to reinvigorate, I'm not suggesting that he does. I think it's more so just the byproduct of his environment. John Herman's the guy. So something, mm-hmm. something else to quickly watch out for. All right, um, let's get into... Before we do
1: the burning question, one quick round mm-hmm. for you guys. Who is your man of the match, the Columbus game for TFC? I want to see if if it's different for everybody.
2: Oh, I go with Coelho. I thought he was uh, quite impressive, in uh, you know, in the performance that he put forth, and and again, very difficult circumstances, playing away to Columbus. I, I really thought he had a composed and uh, really mature effort all around. Nike.
0: Yeah, yeah. I think I can't disagree with that. I think Alonzo Coelho was wow was. One of the lone bright spots in the middle of the park, how about you? I
1: guess we all agree then I just well, wanted to no. see if someone would i just i just wanted to see if someone would mention Thomas Romeo because he did you know go up against thirty one shots and 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 let uh, some in, but yeah uh, no. I wouldn't I wouldn't fair. I wouldn't pipe him for for man of the match because those two shots one was the same thing we've seen before coughing up a rebound and, and sure his team did him no favors I mean play to the whistle guys like two weeks in a row now you you've let the goalie cough up a rebound and then immediately another player wants it more and we're down 1-0 but um it's the same two rebounds so obviously his shot stopping despite facing 31 shots is kind of crappy and then his distribution is also uh, garbage right now and i'm also not seeing the kind of leadership uh from the back and the kind of vocalness that i want out of a uh, number one goalkeeper so yeah he faced 31 shots but that's an admonishment of the side more than it is a testament to his quality as, as a shot stopper you know what i mean
0: so you just, you just took that segment to rip on thomas romero eh <laughs> yes i did i
1: absolutely did. 100 did
0: <laughs> Sorry, buddy. You are you are you are right in my
1: crosshairs this week. No, but I, yeah, I, think I, I think
0: it I think it, it does it does show you just how much and how big of a difference Sean Johnson makes at the back there. I mean, people know mm-hmm. this, people recognize this, but Sean Johnson, um, massive massive difference maker for Toronto FC, and he's going to be at what four to six weeks or six to eight weeks now with, uh, yeah, with with that. Uh, yeah, he's not coming back this surgery. Season. Yeah, but- surgery on his hand. Well, sorry, and, and not to hijack things,
2: but I, I think one thing that really kind of stood out about that game was the fact that, you know, Michael Bradley was deployed as a center back with Ame Mbika on the bench. And when Mbika came on, I think, you know, you could just see how downward it went, especially on that goal. I mean, that was such <sighs> a, poor, you know, how he doesn't deal with the goal, with the kick, you know, letting it bounce. And then how he doesn't properly close down the attacker and lets him get a shot off. I mean, when I think about how strongly he started his tenure at TFC to the point where now it's like he's become a defensive liability, and it mm. says a lot that, you know, Terry felt compelled enough that, you know, he didn't trust him enough to start in this game, that he had to start Michael Bradley at that center back position. Really shows you how much, in my mind anyway, Mabika has kind of just gone down, spiraled down since he first got here. Yes.
0: Yeah, you do wonder if that's, again, a byproduct of maybe Terry Dunfield's coaching system versus Bob Bradley's because it was with Bob Bradley where Mabika, as you mentioned, he was flourishing when he first came to Toronto. He was playing with a bunch of poise on the ball, was making the right decisions, Mm. went to dribble, went to play out of the back. He seemed like he was a guy who could cover some ground at the back, but now he looks like a shell of, of, of that version of ame Mabika, which we saw i mean he's still a young player he's still signed to a cheap contract so i still think he could be a useful piece but you do wonder um how exactly that things went wrong and unravel for Mabika, because he's a guy who is playing with very little confidence and whose coach has very little confidence in him we'll see if john herman again could be a guy who reinvigorates Mabika and, and gets him back to being his best self. All right, let's uh, let's jump ahead. We'll jump into mm-hmm. the burning question.
1: Nope. Adjustment. No, nope. Michael, stop
0: muting yourself. Am I good? Yeah, you're good now. Oh, weird. All right. The burning question presented by Nextdoor. Nextdoor is the official community app of Toronto FC. It's used by one in five households in the GTA. The Nextdoor app is an awesome way to get things done in your neighborhood. We're posting clips, contest details, and other goodies on the Toronto Sea Fan Group, so make sure you check it out. To join the group, download now in the App Store or get it at nextdoor.ca. So this week, you know, we did ask this question before the Herdman News, so we do have to kind of preface it with that. We just wanted to get the temperature in the room and get a get a feel for what TFC fans were kind of feeling. Cause it feels like TFC live has been a bit toxic of late. So we asked just how are you as a Toronto FC fan feeling right now about this club heading into a home game on Wednesday. So Steven Sawicki on the next Door Canada group, he said, I don't feel good about this upcoming game against the Philadelphia union, a hungry team that is looking to improve its standing in the Eastern conference. Yeah. we, can't really disagree with that to right five yeah yep. philadelphia is second in the eastern conference they're a team that had a slow start out of the gates as they had a bit of an mls cup hangover obviously i was making a, a deeper run in champions league as well um so that's probably where their priorities are at but philadelphia Union are back to being at least close to you know the philadelphia union that we remember from last season and the last time these two teams met Philadelphia, thumped Toronto, I believe it was 4-1 at Subaru yeah. Park, so now Stupid. returning back home. I was two. 4-2. Yeah. Yeah. There you go. Um, JMO, how are you feeling about this game for Toronto FC's chances at home? Do you think shifting things back to BMO Field, do you think this fresh energy of John Herman, he won't officially be on the touchline, but at least the announcement that he's coming in, do you think that that does anything to this team? Do you think uh, TFC have a chance here against the union? No, I don't. (laughs) I mean, look, I mean,
2: (laughs) you know, I mean, I I could sort of paint a rosy picture here and say, yeah, look, this is great news. I mean, they're going to be, they're magically going to turn it on and they're going to come out and play like world beaters. Um, This is the Philadelphia union. They're playing. Uh, This is not, sort of you know the Colorado Rapids who are bottom of, of the Western Conference this is one of the best teams in the league uh and you know TFC hasn't won in a franchise record 13 games they've lost 10 in a row they've only scored twice uh, you know during uh Terry Dunfield's uh, eight game run so you know what what do I have to believe that uh, you know Wednesday is going to be any different especially after such an anemic performance against Columbus I mean Mm-hmm. they were only down one nothing in that game for the longest time. And what struck me was the complete lack of urgency and complete lack of self-belief. I mean, you know, I, and I wrote about this on TFC Republic today, but where's the pride? Like, where is the will to win? Where is the self-belief? It's not there. So, I mean, to mm-hmm. think that it's magically going to just reappear, um, you know, Wednesday, just, just because, you know, Herdman has been announced, I think that's just... That's downright silly to think that's going to happen.
0: I mean, <laughs> and I can't think of a single reason why that wouldn't be the case. Um, I can. I why? Go ahead, Jeff.
1: I think you're actually going to see players. I, I know I'm remiss to say playing for their jobs, but I do think you'll see. It, I, I mean, I don't know to how much and I don't know how long, probably the first 15 minutes and then we'll get scored on them. Everybody will hang their heads down and shoulders will drop and it will be the TFC of your. But I think for the first 15 minutes, we might see a bit of a fire lit under some of these players behinds to make a good impression for the incoming gaffer. Uh, will it be measurable? Probably not. Will we still get
0: molly whopped? Absolutely. So, you know, there, <laughs> there we go. And just throwing this out there for any sports bettors, I've seen Philadelphia at plus money as well. So if you're interested, go go take a look at that number. But if, you, if you're if <laughs> you like none of us here and you actually believe that Toronto C have a chance of getting something, that other number at home, one of the biggest numbers you'll see at home this year. Um, yeah, I, I wish I could end this on more of a positive note, but the only thing we can say is... It's a CNE game.
1: Uh, yeah, it's free on know, Apple but... TV
0: if you've got your season ticket membership. There you go. You I know. mean, it might a- mean or it might make for some nice aesthetic in the background, but at least it'll be the first unofficial game of the John Herman era. Um, obviously, once again, his era begins officially on October 1st when he does assume coaching duties. Uh, just a temperature check again. This one coming from Twitter, blue chip prospects is saying mostly I feel sad and detached. The guys who made this team such a joy to watch are gone or wasting away. The new guys care less than the supporters do. Management is hiding. It's not fun anymore. And we used to have something truly great. It's a goddamn tragedy in three parts. Yeah, that was kind of where I, mean, I think, I think he has some good takes. I've seen a lot of them and I think this one's another good take. That's kind of where Toronto see were before this Herman mm-hmm. appointment. But once again, uh, John Molinaro and myself will be down at the training ground tomorrow is where we will hear from management, Bill Manning, Jason Hernandez slated to speak to media as well as John Herman for the first time as again, unofficially head coach of Toronto FC. Crazy. Time. But that's so crazy. Yeah. That's all for, for this week's show. We have a big favor to ask as always just spread the news about the show. We know you guys know how quickly we're growing, and this new era, this John Herman era, is going to be a delight to follow, (laughs) good or bad. Just hopefully, hopefully it's more good than bad. And as always, (laughs) we bought one AirPod, so there you go. (laughs) Mm. yeah we we definitely have to see john Herman in those airpods uh we thank you what airpod he only
1: he only ever has one just the one he's one. cheap 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 airpod
0: uh, (laughs) absolutely um we thank the loyal watchers and listeners depending on if you're catching this on the podcast feed after uh do us a favor hit that subscription button if you're on youtube hit that follow button uh please. It does really help us out. If you're on a uh, podcast, Apple podcasts or Spotify, make sure you do follow us there as well. And we're also on Twitter. Hey, or X if whichever one you want to call it. If you do want to support us, but John Molinaro, thank you so much for Thank you so much, joining man. Always us today. a pleasure. Anytime. Always a pleasure. Yeah. Make, make sure you guys follow all of John, John's work at TFC Republic. Uh, my opinion the best spot, the best source for Toronto FC News. But for myself, Michael Singh, for John Molinaro, and of course for Jeffrey P. Nex- Nesker. Next Nesker. I like that one. Next year. Yeah, we will see you guys next week. Thanks for watching. And wait, and wait, and baby, I'm TFC till I die.